Hi, I'm Lydia McGrew. My recent book was called The Mirror or the Mask, Liberating the Gospels from Literary Devices, and this is a series of videos in which I'm discussing that book, and I'm discussing some recent videos by Dr. Michael Lacona. In our last video, we discussed the use of terminology, fact-changing or fictionalizing or fact-altering literary devices. In this video, I'm going to be discussing a little bit about the genre of the Gospels and whether or not they were Greco-Roman biography. This thesis that the Gospels were specifically Greco-Roman biography has become very popular in evangelical circles in, oh, I'd say the past 10 to 20 years, originally advocated by classicist Richard Burridge. Dr. Lacona prefers to use the phrase that they have much in common with Greco-Roman biography. Many people who bring this thesis forward believe that it merely defends the historicity of the Gospels. They're not myth. They're not legend. They're Greco-Roman biography is supposed to be another way of saying that they're historical. But as the more scholarly advocates of this view, such as Richard Burridge and Dr. Lacona and Dr. Craig Keener as well, advocated it really has two effects. On the one hand, it, it pulls us up from legend and myth and pure fiction and says these are substantially historical. But on the other hand, it from the other end, says that they would have considered themselves to have at least some flexibility in the narration of history if they were in this genre. So it also puts a kind of limit on the amount of literal historicity we should expect to encounter in the Gospels. For Dr. Lacona, this creates what I would call, as a philosopher, a high prior probability of finding these kinds of changes. He was pretty explicit about this in an interview that he did with Bible Gateway, and this is what he said. The majority of New Testament scholars agree that, at minimum, the Gospels share much in common with the genre of Greco-Roman biography. Therefore, it should be of no surprise to observe the Gospel authors using the compositional devices that were part and parcel of that genre. In fact, we should be surprised if we did not observe it. Accordingly, gaining a better understanding of that genre should, in principle, yield a greater understanding of the Gospels for us. Where I differ from most evangelicals is I place a priority on genre over harmonization. So before seeking to harmonize gospel texts, one should read the gospels in view of their biographical genre, which includes their author's use of the various compositional devices commonly used when writing history and biography. So that genre claim is playing quite an important role for Dr. Lacona in his expectations. In fact, he even says we should be surprised if we did not find these compositional devices in the Gospels. In The Mirror or the Mask, also known as T-Mom, I respond to this claim at multiple levels. For example, I even talk about Plutarch and other authors of Greco-Roman biography, and I argue that the kinds of devices that he alleges, such as moving events, which we talked about in the last video, are not even clearly found in Plutarch. Uh, that it's not at all clear that Plutarch was deliberately moving events in time. But on another level, I argue that even supposing that these were uh, devices in Greco-Roman biography, we have a right to question whether several of the tr traditional authors of the Gospels would even have encountered this Greco-Roman biography genre and imbibed its conventions and adopted its conventions. Now, we want to be careful not to be anachronistic. In our own age, 
we have widespread popular culture. No doubt most people, when they were children, were taken to a movie based on true events, which is an analogy Dr. Lacona has used. And your parents might say to you, now, this is just a movie. They might have changed some things. And so these conventions of these genres are passed down in a very natural generation-to-generation -generation fashion as we simply talk with one another because we have what we might call a homogenous popular culture. That is anachronistic to attribute to the world of that Mediterranean region, and particularly to the Jews among them. Matthew, Mark, and John, as traditional authors of the Gospels, would have been Jews. Luke may have been a Gentile and may indeed have had Greek learning of some kind, although we have no evidence that he ever deliberately changed any fact at all. In fact, he seems to have imbibed from Greco-Roman history only the highest standards of historical reportage. But we need to remember that Palestinian Jews did not commonly have a Hellenistic education. In fact, it's very important to distinguish Greek language from Greek learning. Many of the Jews of Palestine would have spoken Greek. It was the lingua franca, and many of them might have read or written it. The Septuagint, for example, was a version of the Old Testament written in Greek. But that doesn't mean they would have been reading Greco-Roman biography, much less Greco-Roman exercise books, or that they would have been studying Greco-Roman history or philosophy, for example. In fact, the Talmud explicitly distinguishes Greek language from Greek learning and forbids it to a father to teach in the Jewish culture to his son. The Palestinian Jews tended to be more separatist in exactly that way. This distinguishing uh, characteristic between Greek language and Greek learning is routinely ignored by Richard Burridge, Craig Evans, and Dr. Lacona in their discussion of this incident. So in his new video series, Dr. Lacona introduces a new theory, which he has never mentioned in public before. Usually when he talks about this, he will refer to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John making these changes and using these compositional devices um, it, because he holds to, in some sense, traditional authorship of the Gospels. But in this new video, he introduced the idea that particularly those Jewish authors might have had Greek-trained assistants as secretaries who would have introduced these factual changes uh, or story changes or compositional devices, as he would call them, into the narrative. Now, this is a wholly new theory. <clears throat> we should remember that um, these are very deliberate changes. They're not the kinds of things you can just make by accident. If you knew that uh, Jesus' temple cleansing occurred during his ministry at the end and you moved it to the beginning, you'd be doing that on purpose. If you knew that Jesus died the day after the Passover lambs were killed and you decided to move it a day earlier, you'd be doing that on purpose. So if the gospel authors didn't know about these and their Greek assistants uh, suggested them to them, it would have to be a pretty explicit process. We should remember, too, that just having a secretary was not the same thing automatically as having a co-author. Dr. Lacona mentions uh, one of the amanuenses, as they were called, or secretaries who helped the Apostle Paul write his epistles. That's true, but that would be a scribe. He might improve your style somewhat, but 
he would not normally be introducing new events. For example, we can't imagine Paul's scribe changing his story of his life in the first two chapters of the book of Galatians. That would not be the behavior just of a scribe. So let's imagine this hypothetical assistant. Suppose Matthew or John has such an assistant. We'll call him Apollos. And let's imagine a dialogue in which Apollos asks permission to make such a change from John. Apollos, hey, John, you've been teaching me about Jewish customs surrounding the Passover lambs and about Jesus as the Lamb of God. You know, in my Greek class, we learned that it's okay to change the dates when things happened and the times when things happened. So I think it would be really cool to change the day in a very subtle way when Jesus was crucified and make him be crucified on the same day when the Passover lambs were sacrificed to symbolize that he was the Lamb of God. John, the beloved disciple. Hmm, Apollos, that's a very interesting suggestion. Well... Sure, go ahead. We want to be sure to keep up with all these Greek conventions that you've been recently learning about. Uh, of course, I do emphasize in my gospel that I was present and witnessed the crucifixion, and my readers might think because of that that they could count on me to be accurate in describing the literal historical day on which it occurred, so some of them might be confused, but never mind, go ahead. Some of them might be Greek-trained like you are, Apollos, and then they'll figure out this symbolism, and that would be really cool. That seems rather unlikely. Or did Apollos maybe just go ahead and make the change on the theory that it's better to ask forgiveness than permission? And then when John read it and saw it, he decided to let it go. Or are we supposed to think that perhaps John just said, Apollos, take those stories that I told you about the life of Jesus as an eyewitness and write them up in a way that seems good to you. And Apollos made these changes to the story as he wrote them. It should go without saying that any such theory guts one of the main things that we usually think is gained when we affirm the traditional authorship of the Gospels, namely closeness to the facts and factual reliability and accuracy. That's usually what we think if we say John, the beloved disciple, who was an eyewitness, wrote the Gospel of John. The idea is supposed to be that that means he got the facts right because he was in a position to do so. And in fact, this was how I believe the early church regarded it too. When you read Justin Martyr or Papias, this is, I believe, why it was important to them that the Gospels were written by either apostles or close companions of the apostles. There is no independent evidence of these sort of co-authors. You can call them secretaries. There is independent evidence that people had secretaries, but this is far beyond a secretary view. This is what we philosophers call an ad hoc hypothesis. You add an ad hoc hypothesis when your theory encounters a glitch or a problem. The glitch of the problem is that it would seem that Matthew and John and Mark would not plausibly have known about such special Greco-Roman literary devices. And so this new theory that Dr. Lacona has recommended uh, or suggested is meant to patch it up. But an ad hoc hypothesis is carried out without independent evidence in favor of it. And there is not in this case. In fact, there's evidence against it. I discuss more of that evidence against it in the blog post that will be linked below this video. 
Moreover, as the dialogues I've just given indicate, the audience would have a lot of trouble realizing this. This would have been a, a mixed audience, a diverse audience, Jews and Gentiles, more educated, less educated, perhaps even uneducated. And if the gospel authors themselves needed to have their secretaries, their assistants, their co-authors suggest these theories to them, why would we think that the audience would know? The genre designation only works to prevent the audience from being deceived if there was a kind of an unspoken understanding between the author and the audience that changes might be made, much like we have in movies. But if the gospel authors required this special information in order to know this, we have no reason to think that their audience knew it as well. Now, there are a lot more things that I want to address on this matter, including the implication that I have not done enough to address the questions of uh, Richard Burridge. He is a classicist who has written a very famous book defending the thesis that the Gospels are Greco-Roman biography. In his recent videos, Dr. Lacona seems to be implying that I've dismissed Burridge's arguments very briefly and without addressing them. But in fact, in Timon, I have an entire chapter on that subject. So in the accompanying blog post, I'll be calling attention to some of the ways I've answered that without, of course, reproducing all of the work that I did in the book. So please do read that. And please come back next time when we'll be continuing to use careful distinctions to discuss and defend the reliability of the Gospels. Thanks for watching.